Welcome to the Burnout Recovery Podcast, a guiding resource dedicated to healthcare professionals on their journey to overcoming burnout. Spearheaded by Dr. Joe Braid, a certified professional coach and rehabilitation physician. This podcast offers practical strategies through expert interviews and personal resilience stories, providing invaluable tools for navigating professional challenges while prioritizing well-being. Regardless of your role in healthcare, this podcast acknowledges the toll of your work on your overall health and is committed to supporting your recovery from burnout and fostering a fulfilling, sustainable career. So, if you're ready to begin a transformative journey, join us for each new episode. Together, we'll navigate challenges, celebrate successes, and build a supportive community of healthcare professionals. Hello and welcome back to the Burnout Recovery Podcast. I am delighted today to invite Victoria Lister as my guest on the Burnout Recovery Podcast. Welcome today, Victoria. Thank you, Joe. Thank you so much for having me. So I met Victoria in person a few weeks back in Sydney when we were both together at the Organisational Response to Workforce Wellbeing whole day workshop, which was great to meet you in person. And the short version of what Victoria does currently is she is a doctoral researcher at Griffith University investigating employee voice and silence in healthcare with a focus on the silence experiences of junior doctors. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you very much. You know, this is a fascinating area that you're researching into. Um, Tell us a little bit more about yourself and I guess some of your journey into researching into this specific area of medical professional silence, please. Yeah, absolutely, Joe. So I came to this topic quite serendipitously and I'm really glad that I did. I took up a PhD scholarship the topic area was broadly defined for me and obviously mm-hmm. I was drawn to it and agreed to it. So it was on employee voice and healthcare. So it was up to me to then have a look at the literature and really do a, a deep dive into it and uh, I guess find the gap or, or the piece that was missing and that most intrigued me and that I felt was worthy of uh quite in-depth examination. So employee voice is a very, very broad topic. I landed on silence, which is the flip side of employee voice, so employee silence, Mm. and these are quite specific things and I'll I'll say what they are shortly. But suffice to say I, I landed on the subject that way discovered silence and then honed in on junior doctors as the most, one of the most vulnerable groups in the healthcare setting or in hospital-based healthcare, which was what I was looking at. Uh, yeah. So I, I was a newcomer to this world and taking that deep dive into the literature initially, uh, really brought home some of the issues that arise when people can't speak up at work. And that's what employee voice Mm -hmm. refers to. It refers to workers' ability to speak up at work about matters that either concern the organisation or interest the organisation. So in healthcare, we might say that's Mm -hmm. patient safety issues um, or, uh, you know, various things that are going to uh, 
work in favour of patient quality and care and uh, metrics like mm. that. Um, and But it also includes, employee voice also includes the ability for workers to speak up about their working conditions. So this is of prime interest to me because I'm in the field of broadly employee uh, employment relations. So we're talking about right. things workplace. And I'm also attached to a research yes. centre called um, the Centre for Work Organisation and Wellbeing. So we're very interested in, in people's working conditions. And mm. it, it became very apparent that junior doctors were particularly vulnerable to silencing on uh, matters related to their working conditions and that this was yeah. very problematic because it, of course, leads to really issues with patient safety. Um, yeah. So the two mm -hmm. things are intertwined very much so. Yeah. So employee silence is, it, it is well, many consider it the flip side of voice. Some people think of it as a spectrum of voice to silence that can be conceived of okay. in, in various ways. But it is mm -hmm. often, um, you know, it's, it's a huge topic for healthcare. Uh, yeah. And, and it is underexplored in terms of working conditions. So that's probably where this topic, you know, might interest your listeners in particular because there is a relationship with, with burnout. Um, yes, and, okay. and maybe we can talk a little bit more about that. But my journey mm. has been super interesting because it was quite an eye-opening um, journey. So I've, I've, I'm mm. fairly advanced in my, my research and coming towards the end of it. And mm -hmm. uh, when I was collecting data, and I did that by talking to junior doctors and other stakeholders, right? The yes, it 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 was actually quite concerning to hear what was going on inside hospitals and how things are for junior doctors. So, as a member of the public mm. who is a potential patient or has family members who yes. are or friends who will be potential patients or are patients. This was quite difficult to hear. And as an individual, just generally, it was, it was hard to hear about the way junior doctors are treated a lot of the time, mm. you know. As someone who cares about these things yeah. and cares about people, it's like this is not a people-first environment a lot of the time. Yeah, so, so through, I guess, people volunteering anonymously to – to have a interview with you, yeah, I and, and sort of questions, the same questions yeah. that you've asked so each person. Ask is that sort of how you standardise this? Did you standardise? Did you standardise your questions through asking the same questions to each person you interviewed? What I did was used a process called. It was a combination of almost in the end result two interview methodologies, one which is called semi-structured interviews. So, yes, mm -hmm. you do formulate yeah. questions, uh, but you're aware that you're going to, to almost have an informed conversation rather than a rote answering of those questions. So, people can deviate mm. and, 
you know, pursue different lines of thought. So it's a much more Mm -hmm. organic process in that way. And I felt that, well, that was what was needed for many of the, my participants um, who Mm. came to me. Yes, uh, they weren't anonymous to me, but they are to absolutely everyone else. And um, they, they, they were so keen to talk about this topic because they have been so silenced that the conversations in some cases went for up to three hours. So there were quite significant, um, you know, in-depth conversations, which is what I was looking for. So in that way, the, the, the questions acted more as a guide and, and so the methodology was, was perhaps in the end often similar to what's called a guided interview where you just uh, offer some prompting questions and then let the participant um, tell their stories. Yeah, yeah, great. So I'm curious about where's this narrative coming through that the way to be is to be silent. Is that sometimes the unsaid curriculum that we get at medical school what what have you identified along the way as um as this message sometimes that silence is the way to deal with it that's mm. a really good question uh so it's it's quite well known in in, in another branch of literature that i looked at in, in the sociology mm. literature, that professions, um, they enculturate their newcomers by socialising them. And that happens, as you right, rightly identified, through the education process. So it starts at university, if we're talking about, you know, mm-hmm. professions that, that require um, high-level training. And... It, it, in some cases, I started to find that it, it would start at school. So there's a yeah. lot of mythology okay. already. I, I think just back to my own school days, we always knew that the smartest kids were going into medicine and it was very competitive and you have to get very high marks and so on and so forth. So the narrative almost starts there. It's, it set a sort of, I believe, sets a sort of tone for what we think about medicine that can be um, <clears throat> enhanced if that individual is from a medical family. So th- yep. those, those okay. participants spoke about that and already they're, they're, you know, immersed in a narrative about medicine. So that hidden curriculum that you referred to is very much evident in those early um, university years so it's it's mm. imparted through subtle messaging that lecturers who are medical professionals or in it or working in around healthcare as well um, relay mm. during during lectures during training um, and then of course once university students <clears throat> medical students are undertaking workplace work placements they get to see. Yes. Uh, what is happening there. So they pick up many, many cues during that and then it just snowballs from there. Yeah. Then you're an intern yes. and then you're in mm-hmm. there. And 
you pretty much arrive knowing as a medical professional, uh, as a, sorry, as an intern, um, knowing mm. that your role is not to say much, but to essentially uh, take your cues from senior senior doctors. And, and those senior doctors can mm. be anyone from the individual who's one year ahead of you in terms of their training mm-hmm. because it, it is, yeah. as, as you know and your listeners will know, very hierarchical and there are good reasons for that. Absolutely. But that mm-hmm. hierarchy can also be misused. So there, there, there is, yeah, these lines of narrative continue um, throughout. I don't think, well, from my what I have heard, uh, they don't cease at the end of training either. Yeah, at the end of specialty training, do you mean, or medical school training, or? Uh, well, all of it, I guess. It uh, it yeah. depends where the individual, how how much training they're they're doing. So there's the initial mm. obligatory cha- training that that all mm-hmm. uh, new doctors go through. So there's that intern year. Yes. And then, perhaps at least another year and then those who are choosing mm-hmm. a GP track will exit and and mm-hmm. take undertake the specialist training in the community. But it could be I spoke yeah. to doctors who weren't specialising and they were mm-hmm. um, nonetheless working as, as senior uh, registrars or, or registrars in, in different areas in the hospital and then there were those, mm-hmm. of course, who are uh, taking specific specialist training with the colleges and they're, they're the longest mm-hmm. and I found that they were the most impacted in terms of, right. yeah. uh, you know, the, the, the culture of, of medicine and what it was relaying and how mm-hmm. it works. And that is yeah. because, one, they were there for a long time and, two, because they're subject to, I guess, uh, an even more, what can be an even more oppressive hierarchy. And they, of course, also yeah. have the, the college, the colleges interacting in and on that, that whole training process. So it's not just the hospital environment. Yeah. It's not just the profession itself. It's, it's, um, the college, and so it becomes even more complex. Yeah, I've got so many questions. I know we've got an outline, and I've got so many other questions to ask from this. <laughs> Let's start off with why yeah. does voice at work matter? And we could also put in there why does silence at work matter? And take your pick, answer both, or start with one if you'd prefer. Mm. Yeah, it, considering employees generally, voice matters because without voice at work, it, it, employees are pretty much disempowered. So mm-hmm. that has flow-on effects in terms of productivity. So their productivity and obviously, of course, that of the organisation's. So if they're not able to speak up about, it could be suggestions for improvements to process and practice, so something that's going to mm-hmm. directly, de- um, you know, improve that organisation's 
outcomes or bottom line, um, that that's not a good thing. You know, why wouldn't you want yeah. that information relayed to you? And as I sure. mentioned earlier, the other important uh, issue around this is working conditions. So if you've got people who are feeling burnt out, for example, but they're not allowed to talk about that, that means yeah. that problem escalates because no one's doing any, anything about it, no one's talking about it. So, mm. you know, we know that, that burnout leads to, well, it's characterised by exhaustion, cynicism mm -hmm. and reduced professional efficacy. So yes. it's an occupational issue and so too is not being able to speak up about it because yeah. it impacts yes. everything you want work to do and the well-being that you want workers to have in order to do the work mm. of the organisation. Yeah. So yes. it's, it's super critical. So silence, which is not being able to speak up when you need to, or you have mm. something of interest to relay, is, is very detrimental, both to the individual, mm. to the functioning of teams, which is super important in healthcare, uh, yeah. hospital-based healthcare. And, you know, it, it's important to the organisational outputs and metrics of, of that particular hospital. Mm, yeah. So it, yeah. it matters. It matters to individuals and it matters to organisations. Yeah. And then, you know, before there is data that you're collecting through your interview process, how would a hospital know any different if they have employees who are like averagely talking about things or under or lower than the norm or or more so than the norm like how how do they get a sense that there's an issue going on here mm. i think in healthcare if there are well there are a number of ways you can know an obvious way is to look at employee attraction, retention, and attrition. So if you're unable mm. to bring staff to your organisation and have them stay, there are pretty good reasons for that usually. And mm. if you're not paying attention to what your employees say, and many organisations do turn a blind eye or a deaf ear, it's probably more appropriate, mm. to yes. <laughs> um, employee issues. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it, but it, it becomes very obvious very quickly. However, I, I suspect that many hospitals resist listening to their employees mm -hmm. and take a little bit of a head in the sand approach. And I'm sad yeah. to say, you know, we've seen that in action when critical issues have emerged as mm. far back in, yeah. in this country, uh, in Australia, uh, with the Bundaberg-based hospital case in Queensland. Mm. There were mm. significant warnings from staff about the actions of, of a physician whose 
whose mm. work was harming patients, was actually killing patients. Mm. Sadly, mm. we've seen a very similar uh, incident just play out in Mackay Base Hospital, also in, in Queensland mm. here in Australia. And this is mm. by no means, you know, only happening in Australia or one state of it, but yeah, sure. these kinds of obfuscating of very, very important patient safety and care issues can happen to the extent that organisations won't listen, won't acknowledge employees' warnings. So that's when employee voice turns into uh, whistleblowing because employees yeah, will okay. reach the point where they they have to take their concerns outside the organisation and raise the alarm there, mm. which is what happened mm. in the case of those two, two hospitals. But, it, of course, yeah. you know, this, this deafness occurs in a myriad of ways every day in, in hospital life. And many of my junior doctor participants spoke about Mm. needing to uh, let minor issues and even more significant issues go through to the keeper because they knew if they spoke up mm. that would have, could have an impact on their career progression. So yeah. Yeah. it's very hard for people to, uh, outside medicine to understand this but as you yeah. know, Joe, and many of your listeners know, a lot mm. depends, particularly if you specialise, in getting mm. the sign-off of your your senior doctors. So these are often sure. the very people yes. you want to speak up to about it could have been uh, something that, that, you know, the junior has seen the senior do that they're uncomfortable with, mm. but often mm. it's about once again, their working conditions. So they might be feeling mm. completely overworked, fatigued, but because of those those cultural learnings around, um, yeah. the, the, you know, that reinforce a kind of medical, what I think of as medical boot camp mentality, you know, you're here yeah. to do yeah. this job, you keep your head low, yeah. you don't speak up. Mm. Um, if you do, you're seen, often seen as inadequate. Um, mm. you know, you haven't made the grade in terms of, or you're not making the grade in terms of yeah. being a doctor who's resilient. Uh, so there's mm. all these ideal worker norms, as we sometimes call them, but professional, mm. medical professional norms that tell people how they are to be. And mm. these prevent, these and very real structural issues like or understandings like if I speak up, I may not get signed off on this particular rotation or this yeah. term. And, yeah, and the know, impact being it's a longer training program. It's even longer. I'll go have, have to go elsewhere. I have to split from my family or take them elsewhere. Yeah, huge exactly. implications. Hu mm. Yeah, and it, it's, it's hard for people outside the profession to understand. But, you know, and I had to ask my participants a lot of questions to in order to understand their worlds 
mm. which I was very happy to do. But, you know, I discovered that, that, you know, medical education and training carries an enormous financial debt. And, and that oh, plays yeah. a part sure. in, in these decisions. Um, so it, it can sound mm. very... Uh, I guess to the outside ear, concerning to hear that it might be about career progression, but th- these are the practicalities involved with becoming a doctor. You have to proceed along this pathway in order to mm. become the doctor that you're training to be. So if people are yeah. blocking that pathway. How do you, how do you fulfil? Well complete your training for one how do you retain a job because that's another factor Mm. the contracts that everyone Mm. is on they're yearly so you have to keep yes renewing you know and making sure that you're employed so you you can continue your pathway um so there are many many barriers that that actively work to prevent junior doctors from speaking up Mm. so it's a very complex Mm. uh, in you know mix of human and institutional and structural barriers very real ones that that yes um, prevent voice and i guess there's there's that tie-in with burnout in healthcare and medical professional silence that you've alluded to a bit so far and mm. I would say from the research that I know around this area, um, well, doctors often um, find it hard to ask for help. There is stigma around asking for help. So let alone voice or silence in these sort of ways that you're, uh, these terms you're using, um, mm. just generally we're sort of this tough breed that, I think your word enculturated is great in that it's a sign of weakness to ask for help. And and I hope that's changing now. I'm not exactly sure if it really is. Um, but that that can be a barrier in in reaching out for help, ideally before you've got to a fully blown burnout sort of stage. Um, yeah, and who do people go to for that help? that does not then have a impact, a potential impact. There might be, there might not be, but a, an unknown impact on their career trajectory as well. So, um, yeah, it's, I'm working on the question here, but we know that mm. burnout even in medical students can be as high as 50% and then it's often higher um, in in doctors towards the 60, low 60s to 70s as well. Um, and and sort of having a lack of autonomy, a lack of agency, um, you know, that psychological safety, I would say that that's uh, part of this area that you're working in, that where we have a psychologically safe workplace, people are mm. more likely to speak up. Mm. Um, have you had any, um, like, suggestion from the interviews that you've done that some of the doctors you've interviewed have voiced um, a feeling of burnout um, like in correlation with a voice at work or professional silence? Mm. Yes. 
So it's not 100% grim news. So I'm pleased to be able to say that. Okay. There are. Good. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Pockets of what it comes down to, uh, as far as I can see, is it it requires enlightened leadership. So Mm. that leader can be the senior doctor who is your consultant um, slash supervisor. Uh, Mm -hmm. But it can also be the doctor a year or two ahead of you. So, as you know, you know, particularly in the specialisations, the more senior juniors are often running teams. And Mm. there are at least, I haven't quantified this yet, bear in mind that my participant pool is small because I'm a qualitative researcher, Mm. so I speak to people rather than survey them. But of the people I spoke to, a number had leadership roles by virtue of their relatively senior status as a junior doctor uh, and Mm -hmm. or they coupled those roles with uh, leadership roles in bodies where they can advocate for change either within the hospital yeah. or mm-hmm. within the profession. So that is very encouraging. And so these these people who see the problems, experience them, know that, that, know that the change has to happen uh, at the coalface. And mm. it's, if they can, they will stay in the profession rather than exit it and make a change yep. from the inside out. So they, they yeah, are great. doing what they can to, to create those safe environments. So mm. encouraging yeah, good. their more junior staff to, or colleagues as they are, they're not their staff, they're colleagues, to, to speak up, create a safe team environment and at least mm. give them an experience of that there. That doesn't solve all the problems because there are, administrative and bureaucratic barriers as well. But, Mm. yes, there are a number of people and there are also, of course, actual senior doctors who many of whom came forward to also participate in my research and Mm -hmm. um, they there are many who are aware of these issues and, and want to affect that change and are doing what they can to affect that change. Mm. Uh, Great. Mm. Yeah. So I think what has to happen is that there needs to be an ongoing critical mass of people who are interested in pushing for this change and doing what they can to implement it. Mm. And that yeah. is starting to Great. happen. And I think the newer generations of doctors coming in are less willing to tolerate these kinds of archaic working conditions which you would not see in any other industry. Well, I can't rule that out, can I? But I've I've mentioned this a number of times. My husband works in a safety-critical industry in the transport sector. Mm -hmm. Their hours are regulated. So their conditions are nothing like what I'm hearing 
from yeah. my junior doctor p- participants and the people I have met yeah. beyond the study. Yeah. Uh, it's astounding yes. to me. And so I was familiar with that. And that was one mm. of the things that astounded me. Why is healthcare, which is so critical, so, in, you know, prone to things going wrong, um, mm. why would you jeopardise staff in that way? Yeah. It's quite yeah. astounding. It is. It is. Yeah. So gosh, well, I'm looking about, forward to go on. Sorry. I, I think you did ask me about burnout and I haven't ended up talking much about it. I did. It. Yeah. That's yeah. okay. You you talked about sort of change from within an organization, which is really encouraging to hear. Mm. Um yeah. Um and yeah, if you wanted to talk at all about um, connection between burnout in healthcare and medical professional silence, yes, it's not actually a part of my study, so I'm not particularly mm. qualified to talk about burnout. But of course, it comes up a lot. And as you know, you know, mm. I've done a little bit of work with on the burnout issue with um, the Health Roundtable and, and Beamtree, because yeah. the, the two things okay. are yeah, very. Good interlinked of course they are because Mm. we're talking about working conditions so Mm. what I arrived at Joe and this might be interesting in the context of your work and and this podcast Mm. is that Mm. I believe coaching could offer a pathway to reduce burnout and you obviously believe that Mm. but also Mm. to reduce burnout by addressing silence. And I think one of the ways it can do that is to support junior doctors or perhaps any healthcare professional to develop more agency. Now, yeah. that's, that's a yes. big ask because everyone is up against a lot. But part of that enculturation process I spoke of seems to impart people with a a message that I'm not worth it, I'm not enough, I'm not experienced mm. enough, I'm not good enough, mm. I can't speak mm. up, I'm not allowed to speak up. So those messages yeah. I feel need to be challenged as much as possible. Yeah. And that people mm. need to find a way to to exercise some sort of agency. And I, I say this with some understanding of this issue because I've come to also see that academia, which is a new field for me, is similarly mm. hierarchical. And there's a similar yeah. Yeah. enculturation, professionalization process that occurs when you enter mm. academia. You know, I've come in as as an individual with a whole raft of, you know, workplace experience, but I I enter Mm. as as an intern more or less. And, Mm. Mm. uh, you know, suddenly that counts for nothing. And I'm at the bottom of the the pecking order. And so I've encountered this and I saw the parallels with my own profession. Mm. And yeah, right. I have learnt through that 
that you can find voice. So as a, as a doctoral student, I have found ways to exercise voice and like many of my participants, I do those leadership roles where that yeah. is more possible. But I think for Great. anyone who is not necessarily a leader, they too mm-hmm. can find ways to build that confidence to, to say, mm-hmm. actually, I, I, need to, I need to rest mm-hmm. because if I don't rest, I'm going to harm someone. And, and that's yeah. really a message yeah. that can't be ignored. I'm not saying it's easy by a long stretch, but I I feel that coaching, and you know the coaching process Mm. much better than me. I'm learning about it. Um, Great, yeah. But I feel it could be a tool. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I do mainly one-on-one coaching, and today Mm. I've coached two senior clinicians in the community and um, individually, and they – very much felt heard, felt listened to, actually managed to say out loud and then heard themselves saying out loud the decision that had been percolating in their mind. And I'm no part of their decision-making situation. I am the reflective space or the holding space so that they can say something out loud that they uh, it's very personal to them or it might be in a professional scenario, but they don't know who to talk about it to in a professional scenario. So mm. um, I think there's more of closing the loop potentially if this could happen in the workplace, but as a good start and a place for people to start getting agency even over, you know, smaller personal wins. I often talk about celebrating your wins or making note of your achievements with my clients so that they have more sense of, oh, yes, look what I have done and look what I have achieved. And it could be a different environment, but it's starting to build them up in their confidence, as you were saying as well, um, that coaching, I'm sure, can be one of the many different tools that could be used in this in this situation. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So I look forward to exploring that that space and and I would invite any junior doctor listening to this mm. to to get in touch mm. with me because um I agree that articulating these things matters and helps and just the ex- experience of being interviewed was you know many of my participants reported the value in that, you know, yeah, they, they actually great. got to speak about yeah. these issues and it wasn't even a coaching yeah, scenario. Fantastic. It was, you know, yeah, me yeah. gathering information. Sure. Great. Mm. Hearing mm. themselves speak. So tell us a bit about the training you're doing in workplace coaching with the aim of supporting junior doctors and voice. Yeah. So I'm, I've done the actual, it's a certificate for in workplace coaching with a Mm. a very very good um, Australian organisation that a couple of friends who work in change management directed me to. Um, Mm. That was called, they're called Open Door. And Mm. so I've completed the 
um, the, the actual training component. I'm now just finishing mm. the coursework, which includes obviously being assessed on our coaching abilities. So that was, mm. you know, to, just to provide a grounding in, in workplace coaching so that can be delivered either individually, as you say, or, or in workplace settings um, or in, mm-hmm. even in group settings or small group settings. Yeah. <clears throat> and, <clears throat> excuse me, um, so, yeah, then I will go through possibly an accreditation process with one of those bodies that exist. But, yeah. Um, yeah, sure. you know, you don't necessarily need to go through that. And I have a wealth of experience you know, prior to coming to academia, working with people in, mm. in workplaces. I was a consultant for 10 years to uh, non-profit organisations, so people in that space and organisations yeah, okay. and boards and whatnot. So I'm, I'm well used to having these kinds of conversations, but now I can tailor mm. it to, well, junior doctors, and by that I'm including... In, in that term, I include uh, doctors who are MDs and doctors who are PhDs and people who are both because mm. <laughs> some are both. Great. Yeah, you um, know both of those worlds, yeah. Yeah. Mm. And, uh, you know, as, as a junior professional myself in now in academia, you know, I, mm. it's so valuable to have those connections and conversations, I find. I love them. Yeah. I love them. You know, I love getting, you know, speaking to people more advanced to me than me. I I seek them out. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, it's just wonderful. And as I'm learning with coaching, uh, it it sharpens your thinking around where you want to go and how to to tackle certain issues uh, in a way that I hadn't quite understood prior to doing the training. So, Mm, you know, that, yeah, goal setting. You know, that sounds like something that's a bit off-putting, but I've actually found that it's incredibly useful. And so I've been able to incorporate that into my own life. Um, Mm, It holds you a bit more accountable. But as you said, it's a a wonderful reflective space where, Mm. you know, the, the coach holds that space for the individual to uh, give them like a safe pe- place to explore, yeah, mm-hmm. their concerns. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, I look forward to hearing how this evolves for you over the next year or two mm. years or so and see, you know, like the outcomes of of your research but also the input that you have into the medical community, I guess, um, as well with this this understanding of the importance of um, employee voice and mm. the uh, risks or the um, effects of medical professional silence as well. Um, maybe we can catch up again in a year's time and see and see what what's happening for you then, and sort of discuss further then. Um, that would be brilliant. Mm. Yeah. I generally finish with this one question with what is one self-care routine you rarely miss? It's it's an opportunity if you're comfortable to share with the audience something that really works for you and helps you 
stay well. Yeah, uh, there are, are a lot, but <laughs> <laughs> I, I've sort of made a personal study of this, you know, and integrated it into my life for the last 15, 20 years. Um, hmm. Yeah, so I pay a lot of attention to what I eat, uh, exercise and mm. sleep, you know, the real pillars. Mm. Uh, yes. I, but I, I have this, and I spoke about this elsewhere, but I, I have a routine that I uh, do every morning and that is I devote time to getting ready for the day. And mm. that is is a beautiful space, and I I feel it's super important for women, um, but men also, to spend that mm. time just being with you. And mm. I have a, a dressing table, which um, means I can sit down and do my hair, do my makeup. And it, mm. it's a very special time. And what I've found over the years is that it, it sets a platform for the day. So how I am during yeah, that, right. that time. And it could be you only have 10 minutes and, mm. and that's fine. It could be you have half an hour, even better, mm. or whatever it is. Mm. But it's, it's super worth, I have found, getting up just that little bit earlier and being very dedicated in that honoring of you that's that's mm -hmm. something I do pretty much every day and when I have the time typically on weekends I turn it into a two-hour ritual I'm I'm right you know, doing the bath I've got amazing salts and clays and I have a real, mm. you know, thing around there and I, I can hang out in the bath for about an hour. <laughs> Great. And oh, wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, sometimes mm. reading. Um, mm. And, yeah, and then that, that expands that daily routine. So that's what I do every yeah. day. Beautiful. Honouring yourself. I love that. love hearing that. Mm. Well, Victoria, thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for all that you've shared around this really important topic that I will say has clearly been around since I, w I went through medical school a long while ago in the UK and um, is still very much around. And um, thank you for bringing it to our attention more with terminology, I guess, that we can use and discuss it with regards to. I think it's really so important, the research that you're doing in this area. And um, yeah, thanks for being available to share with my listeners more about what it means and the very much the importance of it and um, influence on the risk of burnout, I guess, in an individual, particularly in healthcare. Thank you, Joe, and thank you for the opportunity. Mm, you're so welcome. Is there anything else at all you'd like to add before we wrap up? I think this comes down to people's belief in their own value. 
And that value is being challenged on an almost daily basis in the medical profession, in those unsupportive environments. So understanding your own worth has surely got to be at, at the bottom of all of this. Yes. And backing yourself, starting to back yourself. Oh, well, thanks for wrapping up with that. I will share in the show notes uh, where people can find you. You're on LinkedIn um, and your website is victorialister, L-I-S-T-E-R.com. And your email is through there as well. Um, It's been wonderful to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for your time. We'll catch up again soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Burnout Recovery Podcast. If there's someone in your world who would also benefit from this, please share it with them. Remember, you are not alone and there is hope for a brighter, more fulfilling future. Let's continue this journey together one episode at a time. For more resources, including how to move from dread to delight, head to drjoebraid.com.